so the nerdy neuroscience about the brain is your brain can't distinguish between a real time event or if you visualized it. But when you, when you walk yourself mentally, emotionally, visually through those things, and you just see yourself doing them and being successful, that's the really key piece. Don't conduct your analysis in isolation because data is so incredibly powerful. Not defending just the tribe, but defending the organization. Those creative people that you really want to keep empowered, keep excited, keep motivated, keep thinking. Good experience pays dividends down the line. Stereotypes tend to break down in proximity. Welcome to We're Only Human, a podcast about human resources, business, technology, and the workplace. My name is Ben Eubanks, your host, and I'm so glad you're here. Hey everyone, it's Ben Eubanks, host of We're Only Human. I'm so glad you're here today, and I'm so glad to have you here because we're going to talk about something that everyone can benefit from, every single one of us. It doesn't matter what you do, it doesn't matter where you are, it doesn't matter what life stage you're in, every one of us can benefit from this conversation today. And so I'm really, I'm actually selfishly really excited about having a conversation and diving into the topic of mental performance at work and how that can, can fit in around who we are and what we do without all the other fluff and everything and leading into this. I'd like to welcome Roger Kitchen to the show. Ben, what's going on? Hey, I'm, I'm having a great day, sir. How about you? Fantastic. Yeah. I'm living the dream, as they say. That, I've heard that. I have heard that. So before we dive into some of the fun, nerdy stuff that I can't wait to just talk through with you, why don't you give us a few minutes just to give us a quick intro on who you are and what you do. Roger Kitchen, I am the founder and mental skills coach for a practice called Power Mental Performance. And really what I do is I change the way people think, especially athletes, high-performing athletes. I provide tools, techniques, different ways of thinking to help that athlete perform at their highest level. So really that's what I do in a nutshell. I provide services to coaches, teams, one-on-one coaching with athletes, really giving them a different way of perceiving stress, different way of perceiving adversity, help them reframe some of those maybe challenges that they're going through in terms of performance. And so I really try to coach them through going from good to great mentally and emotionally. And if they already are great, then how do we sustain that greatness over time? But I really love putting people in a, in the optimal place for mental performance. So whatever it is, whether they're in business, personal relationships, again, i focus primarily in athletics, but that's a little bit about what I do. So I'm teaching people to think about the right thing at the right time all the time. Awesome. When you said that, when you said that, that a minute ago, one of the things that popped in my head was the, the Yogi Berra quote, baseball is 90% mental, the other half is physical. That's the right. thing I thought of when you said that immediately, because so much of what we do at work, at home, it's who we are. You're talking about athletes here, but I'm going to I'm going to make that that logical leap and say there's some things that we can all probably take from that, even in the workplace, whether you feel athletic or not, right? You're, you have some level of competition and some, some need to show up and be ready to go when you step into the office, you step into the virtual office these days. And so I'm excited to talk through some of the things that you do and how you approach that, because I think that's something that every single one of us can probably benefit from. So talk about, go ahead and just take that kind of cue that I gave you there. Talk about how these things apply to someone who, who's not an athlete per se, but someone who's working day-to-day, trying to get things done. You mentioned things in that, that intro like stress, emotions, like lots of things tie into that probably. Talk about that piece of that and how that kind of applies in this sort of spectrum. So it's funny, whether I ask a professional working in business, an artist, or an athlete, 
I'll say how much, what percentage of your job's mental? Athletes automatically go to 80, 90%. It, it's mental. If I ask somebody in business or if I ask somebody, maybe that's an artist or a performer, what percentage of what you do is mental? They, they scratch their head because nobody's really asked them that question before, but it really is very much the same. If I, as a human resource executive and a professional, if you really sit down and think about it, a lot of our job is mental. It's about performing at a certain level. When we think about in HR and employee performance, it's knowledge, skills, and abilities. And how much of that is, is mental? And it really is about 80, 90% mental. So getting back to, okay, so how do we handle that in a day-to-day environment? It's learning how to manage that work. It's learning how to uh, rise to the occasion. Think about the first time that you had to deliver when we were in person, like an executive briefing or a briefing to senior leaders. I know in previous jobs where I was working with the army and having to brief a room of very high ranking officials, military and members of the senior executive service, like my heart was just pounding out of my chest because I was just so nervous. And so I think we've had moments like that in business and taking a step back. And so what I tell people, some easy tips, learning how to control your controllables, because I think in any given day, our mind goes and worries and stresses out about things we can't control. And so really learning to get good at the small things in terms of what I think about. So a, a drill I give teams, and it can be for an individual too, is I give them a sheet of paper draw a line down the middle, make two columns on one column, put controllables and on the other column, put uncontrollables and just start writing. What is it? What are things I can't control today? And that list gets long. And then you're, then you go back and say, okay, what can you control? And you really find out that list is pretty small. And typically when people start getting nervous, stressed, anxious, regardless of the environment they're in, they're really thinking about those things they can't control. And they're not focusing on things they can't control. So that's an easy tip. Now, I tell people all the time, I say, look, becoming mentally tough, developing mental skills, it's a skill. Just learning your craft in HR, learning how to sing, how to shoot a free throw, learning even how to garden. It takes, it t- it's a skill and we have to practice it and we have to do it over and over again. And that's very much with our mind. We have to be able to train our mind to think differently. And some days it goes well and other days it doesn't. But then you learn to move on, not be so hard on yourself, but really get curious and and creative on how can I think differently to perform better? As you're talking here, I'm being transported back to the days where I was. I'm an amateur, I guess now, right? I run and do some fun stuff there. But when I was a, a high school athlete, I'm thinking through, what were the things that I did to prepare for myself for something? Because I knew that mental was a big part of this and having a routine, thinking through the, what it's going to look like when this works, when everything goes right and, and kind of planning that out and playing that video out in your head. I'm thinking some of those same kinds of things right there probably would fit in with this conversation as tools or exercises we could be using, whether we've got to do that big presentation. Or I know when I've got a, a big client meeting and I've got to be on and I've got to be ready to think on my feet because they're going to ask a lot of hard questions. I do things in advance of that meeting to prepare for it. Not only do I do the get a good night's sleep, thing like that, but I like have some caffeine an hour before. And for the half hour before, I have no email. I, I go out and go for a walk. And so I've learned those things, but it took me a long time to get to that. I think about all the lost time. I could have been better if I thought about those kinds of 
pieces of mental performance because I just took it for granted for a long time, honestly. Yeah. So you allude to a lot of good things that, yeah. And I'm like, you almost feel like we're late to the game on some of this stuff, but yeah, yeah learning those little tips and techniques and those little trade-offs physically and physiologically help us get in a better place. A little bit of caffeine, good sleep, good health, good nutrition, learning when to break away from email and social media to get my mind in the right place for that briefing or that, that meeting or that big client, that big client maybe meeting. And I got a process that I teach everybody. It's called MVP. And we know that from athletics, but it really, the M and the V and the P stand for mindfulness, visualization, and then positive self-talk. And so you alluded to the visual piece, which is what's it going to look like if I'm standing in the room delivering this presentation? What's it going to look like in that meeting as the, and you prepare for those maybe tough questions and you visually walk yourself, you know, through that event. And the, the cool thing about the, so the nerdy neuroscience about the brain is your brain can't distinguish between a real-time event or if you visualized it. So if you practice really good visualization, I call it pretending, daydreaming, whatever you know, synonym you want to throw in there. But when you, when you walk yourself mentally, emotionally, visually through those things, and you just see yourself doing them and being successful, that's the really key piece. When you get into that environment, your brain thinks you've already done it. And so that's the cool piece. But when I get back to the M, the mindfulness that can be as simple as learning how to breathe properly. It could be meditation. It could be just a very quiet time I have, but it's learning to relax and learning to be in the moment and stay present. And there's all kinds of different practices that really help you be mindful so that you're not distracted. So you've got the M, you got the V and then the P, which I think a lot of people, depending on kind of who they are, they feel like it's a little corny or maybe hokey disingenuous but there are certain people that are really hard on themselves they make a mistake it feels devastating and they beat themselves up and i when i find somebody kind of tracking that way i said the conversation you're having inside of your head about your own performance would you if you saw your best friend performing that way would you have that same conversation with your friend and they go oh no i wouldn't say that to them i said why do you say it to yourself And that positive self-talk is really your pep talk. It's really your way of encouraging yourself in order to perform. It could be something as simple as I do this when this happens, I do this when this happens, and you maybe coach yourself step-by-step, maybe through a presentation, or um, maybe you're an athlete competing uh, on the free throw line when the game's going to, you know, be on the line, but it's that positive self-talk. It's encouraging There is not one person on planet earth that doesn't love encouragement, that doesn't like that purposeful at the right time pep talk that really just encourages you and puts you in the right frame of mind. And so I tell people, you love it when somebody else does it to you. Now you got to do it to yourself and you've got to have that positive self-talk and that pep talk and that coaching, that good coaching experience inside your head. And the mindfulness helps us relax and breathe properly and slow those thoughts down. The visualization gets us into that moment and we see how we're going to perform. But then the self-talk is, it's the icing on the cake. When you put all three of those things together in your workday, routinely through your workday, 
you'll be surprised at uh, how much better you're going to feel and the performance becomes a little bit easier. Mm. There's a, one of those things you talked touched on in there. I want to just reiterate it because I think it's so important and it's something I've become a bigger, been more, becomes more self-aware of lately. There's a gentleman named Dr. John Deloney and he's an expert in mental health. And one of the things that I've heard him say recently that's stuck with me is if you talk to someone else, the way you talk to yourself in your head, they would smack you. I know. We are so mean to ourselves. We're the first ones to say, oh, you screwed that up or you're not good enough for that. Or you could never actually do those things. And if you tell yourself that it's absolutely true, we've got to, we've got to avoid that. I'm not a, like you said, it's not just the hokey, Oh, we're all going to be great. And it's going to be perfect. Yeah. And there'll never yeah. be a problem. No, Let's it's hold when hands. The problems come, here's how I'm going to respond here. Right. When the stuff hits the fan, here's how I'm going to plan ahead because it's not when and we got to be ready for that. Oh yeah. And so there's a lot of research on this concept. Now self-compassion, there's books written on it. And the author's name uh, slips my mind who really got this type of research off the ground and popular. And, and if you walk up to an athlete or even a high performer in business, uh, think of a hard charging CEO or an executive. And you say, in order to improve your performance, you need to learn to be more self-compassionate. They'd look at you like you had three heads because <laughs> when you hear self-compassion and performance, they just don't seem to mesh. But really what you're doing is you're not saying, oh, I'm just gonna forget about that mistake or I'm not, it, 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 we think in terms of if I'm self-compassionate, then I won't perform. And that's really a myth. What that self-compassion is really talking about is maybe I made a mistake and really you can reframe the mistake in terms of what did I learn? So it's not a failure. It's, it's a learning opportunity. It's not a mistake. It's an opportunity to get better. So you can switch the language there a little bit, but it really is being honest about what can I do to be better, but then you let go of the judgment and the criticism and kind of the self beating up of letting that maybe your standard of performance, letting it go so that you can move on. It's what I, I use this term with basketball players. I said, it's always about next play speed. It's learning to play one. It's learning to act one play at a time and learning if I'm a, I've seen a basketball player miss like four layups in a row and then they just shut down for a whole quarter and they just didn't contribute to the team. And in basketball, because of the nature of the game and how fast it is, you can't have somebody check out for a quarter. It's no different in business. If somebody makes a mistake in their own mind, you can't have them check out for the rest of the day especially if there's something important going on with a project. So you learn to be self-compassionate in the sense that you learn from the mistake and you grow, but it's over with and you get what I call amnesia and you just let it go. And it's all about the, what's next for me. What's next for me? Just a lot of my self-talk when it comes to this is when I get done, I'm like, okay, what's next? It always helps me refocus. Okay, what's next? I like, there's another acronym I like to use. It's called WIN, W-I-N, what's important now. And so that helps me stay present. That helps me stay focused on the next task, but I'm not living in the past and I'm not going, oh, do you remember when I stuck my foot in my mouth at that meeting three weeks ago in front of XYZ executive? I wonder what they think of me. Oh, they probably think I'm incompetent. And, and it's, that happened three weeks ago. I, like, I kind of need you here. <laughs> I need you focused here. 
let's move on. Yeah. I like that. What's important now? And just re yeah. refocus there. It helps you refocus. One of the questions I want to ask you is when I think about people at the top of their game, again, where if we keep going back and forth with, with metaphors here, right? It could be a CEO. It could be an mm -hmm. Olympian. They have a coach. And these are the, the people that are performing at the, the highest level on the planet in their field for some of them. And it's, I would argue that they're not, they don't say, okay, and now I'm great. I'm going to start using a coach. It's I'm great partly because I have a coach guiding me along the way. And the question I have for you is why do you think more of us as professionals, as parents, as right, whatever we're doing, why don't more of us turn to coaches? So if I put myself maybe in that executive shoes, I think it, it's, it's vulnerable. It, it's hard for certain personality types that gravitate towards those CEO executive positions to be vulnerable and say, I need help. I've gotten feedback. I've, this is an area professionally I need to develop. So I think it could be maybe a vulnerability issue. It it's, could be perceived as a sign of weakness to ask for help or, or get that kind of to partner with a coach and develop those professional or personal goals that quote unquote, take me to a, a better place professionally. I think in athletics, it's more readily accepted. Everybody's got a coach. You think of the, these high-level UFC fighters. Let's just pick MMA. Those high-level fighters have a nutrition coach, strength and conditioning coach. They've got a Brazilian jiu-jitsu coach. They've got a striking coach. And they're used to, and many now are uh, bringing mental skills coaches into their camps. So they're used to being surrounded with actually very specific coaches. I think in the business world, we're catching up. I think it's becoming more popular but I think there's a vulnerability issue there. Think about it. Even me just standing here saying, uh, if I reach out to a coach and ask for help, what does that really mean to me? And how do I interpret that? And sometimes I got, we have to process through that. Some people won't go to counseling because they think it's a sign of weakness or they won't reach out for help. And that's really the, the healthiest thing they could do is to sit down with somebody that maybe has a, a strong counseling background in marriage or a life skills coach or fill in the blank type of counseling that really helps them process through a difficult time they're going through. So I think there's some vulnerability opening up the, the, the jacket or the sleeve to let people look in. I think it's maybe a fear of judgment too. They're afraid somebody's going to look in and go, wow, yeah, you really are messed up when really at the, at the end of the day, everybody struggles with something. And I think those are myths and stories created inside of that just aren't true. Thank you. All right. That's, that's not just a little bit, my toes are a little sore hearing that, um, <laughs> but also an encouragement everybody listening to this, a little bit of encouragement there that you are, if you're, if you're listening to this thinking, wow, this is great, but I don't know that I could use a coach or I'm not sure if I'm, if I, a coach could help, that's hopefully that lays it out for you right there that every single one of us listening to this could use a coach in some area, right? Oh, yeah. mental performance or something else. We, we need some support. We need some coach, some, some help. And that's the, the fun of this, this conversation today, because the mental piece, I'm not, I said, I've, I have some practices, some, some processes, some things, some habits I've built in, but there's always room for improving those things. And even when you think you're, in California, I'm go the Olympians, if you're the top of the game, they still have coaches to keep them at that level or to help them break new barriers. And so you can always get a little bit better. And you can either say, eh, I'm worried about what someone's going to think, or 
what that that opportunity cost is worth it for the benefit I'm going to get of having someone else peek in and say, hey, if you just tweak this thing 10%, you would be twice as effective at this area of your life. And you just have never had that, that insight. Yeah. So for somebody maybe listening to this and struggling with taking that step to get a coach, do this, take a baby step and just go have coffee with a friend and talk about a problem. Somebody that you're safe with, somebody you're comfortable with, go out to eat, do something and say, look, I'm, I'm struggling with this and I, I just want you to give me your opinion. That's like a baby step to get there. And then I would say the next step past that is go find a mentor for filling the, it could be for raising teenage boys, which is, I have a mentor at my church that when I need help raising teenage boys, I go cry on his shoulder. I've got mentors for helping me with my career. I've got mentors for different skill development. So it's go find somebody that can be a mentor to you to help you in an area. And that's, those are like baby steps. They, they break down that vulnerability a little bit. It's uncomfortable. So we've got to learn that just because it's uncomfortable doesn't mean it's wrong or feels wrong. It's uncomfortable because it's uncomfortable, but step into that space. And it's like you start developing that skill of stepping into that space. It just doesn't feel right. feels uncomfortable, feels disingenuous, but it slowly gets you to that place that maybe if a counseling or a counselor is the right solution for you, it makes it just a little bit easier. But then you really brought up a good point where I think about people that bring coaches on that people go, why would I need a coach? Like when Tiger Woods hired a swing coach early in his career, people are like, why would Tiger Woods hire a swing coach? He's one of the best golfers on the planet, but he did this thing called deliberate practice where he had somebody intentionally watch his swing in order for him to go from good to great or be great and stay greater. And there were even times where with his approach to deliberate practice, which had an intention to it and had goals, he would, the swing coach would many times just take a golf ball, throw it in the rough and pound it into the ground in the mud and say, okay, now make the shot. And so they would just sit there with deliberate practice over and over again, just hit balls out of the rough. And I think that's a good life metaphor for us that I think sometimes we just got to get to a place where it's uncomfortable and, and get to a place where we're willing to get some good feedback and some good advice, some good wisdom to help us maybe through some difficult times or to just help us perform better within our own occupation or even sport. You're, you're talking about this thing so serious, but as you're talking about that example, I'm visualizing the business version of that as you're getting ready to do that big talk and suddenly the projector breaks or you, your slides you know, are corrupted and you can't, you're like, what's, the, what's my version of that? There's, Tiger's got his own version of yeah. what his, his personal torture chamber looks like. What would mine look like? Because it would be a little bit different, probably. Yeah. So, as- and look, we've all been there in business. I've showed up to do presentations, and the slides were just messed up, and the technology didn't work. And it's and in that moment, you can blink, or through what you would say, like through the visualization or the practice ahead of time. Okay, if my technology doesn't work, what do I do? If this happens, what do I do? And you train yourself to pivot in those moments, but you got to practice it, and it's okay to practice it. Yeah. So if someone is wanting to know more about your work, wants to connect with you, Roger, what's the best way to do that? I use social media. So I'm on Instagram and you can just look up my name, Roger Kitchen Jr. or Power Mental Performance. I do a lot on Facebook under Power Mental Performance. And then the phone number to my practice is 256-698-6389. 
and you can call or text anytime. And th those are really the easiest ways that people connect with me. Okay. Awesome. I really appreciate you for hanging out today for sharing some insights and your passion for this because I'm excited about it. And I already had high expectations coming into the conversation today. And I've made a lot of notes, took a lot of ideas down, things like that from the discussion. So I appreciate you for sharing and for your heart for this, for coaching others, because I think it's it's a powerful, powerful tool to make the world a better place. And every single one of us can benefit from that in, in multiple areas of our lives that we've talked about. So thank you so much, Roger. Yeah, I appreciate it. Appreciate your time. And really the reason I wanted us to get together, Ben, is because coming up in May is Mental Health Awareness Month. And so for people listening, just recognize that May is going to be Mental Health Awareness Month. There's going to be lots of information and resources through many multiple communication outlets coming out and hitting social media, the news, fill in the blank. And I think it's a good opportunity for people if, if they need help. The month of May is going to maybe be a trigger for them to step into that space and, and get the help that they need, whether it's personal, professional, or in athletics. Roger, I appreciate you so much, sir. To everybody else, thank you for hanging out with us today. On We're Only Human. I appreciate you, and we'll catch you next time. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. I'm honored to have you as a listener. If you enjoyed this episode, please take 10 seconds to rate it at iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Also, if you know a friend that could benefit from today's conversation, please pass it their way. After all, a rising tide lifts all ships. To see show notes, sponsor information, and our full show archives, visit OnlyHumanShow.com. 